With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this edition of Waltrip Unfiltered. What a great show we have for you today. I'm bringing in John Hunter Nemechek to our Fox Sports studio to talk to him about some key moments in his career, including a big wreck in Canada that I was calling on TV. I got a little bit dicey. I said some things on TV that it's going to be interesting to see what John Hunter thinks about them. Plus his huge wins in late models. He's won the Snowball Derby. He's won the All-American 400. And he got that big win at Kansas last year in the Xfinity Series. Somebody called him a spoiled little rich kid. He's going to tell us why that's not the case. And we're going to preview Talladega, the world's fastest super speedway. I can't wait to get down there. And I can't wait for this show to get on the road. Green flag, green flag. I have to tell you about my favorite Talladega moment. Since we're going to head to that beautiful 2.66 mile super speedway in Alabama. It was 2003. And it's been on Twitter this week. It's pretty funny because my crew guys that were a part of that race that day. Uh, have been talking about what I was saying on the radio. About what a piece of crap car I was driving. And how I couldn't pass anyone. And I couldn't keep up with anyone. And my crew chief, Slugger Labby. He made a decision late in the race to try to stretch our fuel mileage and get our car up front. I'd been back in the traffic whole day long. I couldn't make any moves, and we got up front, and that thing came to life, and it was running. And we had the lead with just a couple, three laps to go, and Elliot Sadler flips down the back straightaway, goes tumbling into turn three. NASCAR throws the red flag, and we come to a stop. I'm in first. Dale Jr.'s in second. Jeff Gordon's right there battling with this as well, and we're under a red flag. So now it's going to be a sprint to the checker. This was a green-white checker before there was such thing as green-white checker. We didn't go into NASCAR overtime, but we certainly had to finish it to the checker with a green flag, white flag, checkered finish. Come off turn two. I got the lead. Coming down to get the white. Feel really happy about where I'm at. Jeff Gordon gets a nice run on the outside of Dale Jr., goes to the top side. I go up and block him, dive to the bottom, block off Dale Jr., was able to hold off Jeff Gordon, and won at Talladega Super Speedway. And why that was important to me, I grew up in Kentucky. And as a kid in Kentucky, one of the best trips of the whole summer for me was when we would go to Alabama to watch Daryl race at Talladega. I was so intimidated by that place. It freaked me out because – People got hurt there. There were bad crashes. And and my brother was out there racing. But I always thought, man, if I could ever get a chance to race on those banks. And I did. I got my chance. And I got a victory back in 2003. That's a special moment to me. It's a trophy that I cherish. So, so I, I was talking to Jeff Gordon a couple of months ago. And I said, I just put that perfect block on you when I went up high. And I was able to win the race. He said, that wasn't a perfect block. I messed up. I went up too high when you made that block. I'm like, Damn, Jeff, can't you give a brother some credit? I thought I did a perfect job. And by the way, if it wasn't a perfect block, then why didn't you win? Think about that, Jeff. And for all those crew guys that I said that car was a piece of crap, 
man, I'm sorry. We got to victory lane, though. And I got to pop out of my hatch. We had a roof hatch. And I won, and my victory celebration was me hanging out the roof. That was a pretty good day in NASCAR to me. <laughs> I love the fact that we're heading to Talladega after an off weekend. These drivers, when they get to Talladega, it's so tight, so intense, so much action. And uh, they've had a week off to get all refreshed and ready for it. No telling what kind of racing we're going to see. There's so many questions that the competitors have about what will happen on the racetrack. We've seen tandem racing before at Talladega. A four-wide finish. In fact, eight guys across the start-finish line together. Will we see some of that this Sunday? I think you will, but just not for multiple laps. I don't think the radiators, I don't think the cooling system will allow them to hook together for a whole uh, green flag run. But you're going to see some of that pushing, I'm sure of it. And who makes their way, who punches their ticket to the playoffs? Can we get an upset winner? There's some guys that have been running really well this year, like Ryan Priest. I love what he's doing behind the wheel. Chris Busher, really fast as well. Can a couple of those underdogs sneak in there and get a victory? Austin Dillon's always strong on the plate races. And what we see last year, last fall, with Stuart Haas, all four of those cars line up and drive away from the field. Is that something that could happen again this week at Talladega? I don't think so. These are new rules. We're coming to Talladega with new rules, new cars. I think they're going to be faster than we've seen lately, and the racing will be more competitive. I think it'll be easier to pass, easier to make moves. I don't foresee them running around the top of the track single file, but remember, when they do that, it's a 500-mile race. That's all part of strategy to try to get to the checkered. So it could happen, but I don't think so. I think you're going to see side-by-side -side racing pretty much all day long. And I'm going out in the infield. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. We're going to stream live on caffeine. So just like we did in the Daytona 500, we were in the garage area when they had those big wrecks late. We were able to get straight to the cars, talk to some of the crew members about what their jobs were once those cars were tore up, getting them suitable <laughs> to roll onto the truck and take it back to North Carolina. So I think we're going to have some good stories from Talladega, and I think we're going to have some really intriguing racing. Don't forget the Xfinity Series on Saturday. That's always a thrilling show. Our buddy John Hunter Nemechek is going to be in that race. John Hunter Nemechek and Cole Custer, they're wrecking and spinning, coming to the line. Who is it going to be? Side by side through the grass. I think it looked like Nemechek. It looked like Nemechek to me, but I'm not sure. Welcome to Waltrip Unfiltered, John Hunter. Appreciate you coming by. Thank you. Appreciate you for having me. Yeah, it's cool that you're my guest. We were just talking a bit about uh, growing up. What what a I like to talk about the class of MRO, especially <laughs> from the late nineties. That's uh, that's sort of where you and my daughter Macy grew up. What was that like back then? It was a lot of fun. Um, going to the racetrack with our dads was really, really neat, you know, like being able to go and have a place for us to go. Yes, we had motorhomes, but it was kind of boring being a kid in a motorhome, not being able to do anything. So MRO was our getaway. We were able to go and um, Daytona, especially. I remember Macy, uh, myself, Brandon McReynolds, Jeb Burton, Tyler Labonte. There was a whole group of us that would run around together and um, play in basketball or hang out at MRO with Miss Melanie um, and Mr. Monty. Like, 
those they're such great people and Billy Malden as well. Um, and I think that they taught us a lot of the values that we know now um, as kids or young adults growing up into this lifestyle. Well, and to me, isn't that a, a wonderful thing that the bond that you have with Monty and Miss Melanie will last a lifetime? And, and they were there. Your dad was behind the wheel. Your mom was there supporting him. And obviously, you were with them every step of the way, but while they were focusing on their job, there were people that were helping you focus on life and understand uh, the meaning of things that maybe were even more important. I don't want to shock you here. Yeah. Maybe even more important than a race car. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Miss Ronnie and Miss Melanie were, were great to grow up under. And like you said, dad was always in a race car. Mom was there. Um, myself having two younger sisters, she was normally taking care of them. So I was out playing on the playground, um, racing razor scooters around the playground, different racetracks that we went to. But the lifestyle thing um, I think it goes back to starting at MRO. While Dad was racing, I grew up under Miss Melanie and Mr. Monty. And as I continued to progress and started racing other series, I pretty much grew up underneath my crew guys. Um, so Mom was always with the girls. Dad was always off racing, doing his deal. So I've had some great influential people um, kind of shadow me and um, kind of just teach me the, the right values of life and how to respect people, how to treat elders, et cetera. Yeah, and that's a it's a wonderful thing, and I'm thankful that that Macy was raised that way, and I'm sure <laughs> your your parents and family are are thankful that 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 was your opportunity as well. For sure, for sure. Um, fast forward, you're you're a kid on a razor scooter, you're playing at MRO. <laughs> when was it you said, Dad, I gotta I gotta get off the scooter and into something with four wheels? Yeah, so I got my first go kart when I was three years old. Um, I started racing go karts when I was five, transitioning into motocross when I was seven, eight years old. Um, I knew that I wanted to race from a young age. I yeah. The first time I went to a racetrack, Macy probably too. I was two weeks old, three weeks old. Um, so I kind of I grew up in it. Um, I, I love the sport. I'm dedicated. I love to go fast, um, and everything that it takes behind the the race car um to get it to the racetrack the team building the engineering that goes into race cars that's always fascinated me um, but from a really young age i've decided that i wanted to race it wasn't until about 12 or 13 um, when i decided that i wanted to drive stock cars instead of race motocross but i played football lacrosse baseball i played pretty much everything that i could in middle school and growing up to make sure that that's what i wanted to do and that's the path that i wanted to choose and um, I was 13 years old when I got my first Allison Legacy car, um, a three-quarter scale stock car, and ever since then it's taken off, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch. Everybody has such a unique story, and the theme I think uh, overall has been persistence and and what all goes into to being a, an established NASCAR racer. And I have this opinion and. And it's my show, so I'm pretty sure I'm right. But <laughs> the, my opinion is we we all get here somehow. Yes. You know, obviously, you and I, our our family um, was the reason why we 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 got here. Correct. And growing up in Kentucky, I wanted to be like my big brother and race cars, and that 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 inspiration. You know what he did. I watched it so closely, and none of the other kids in my grade school were watching NASCAR <laughs> back in the 70s, so it, it gave me the, 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 the desire to go racing, and, and, and we all got here somehow, and let's say my getting here was because of my last name and what my brother did. That's great. Um, Ross Chastain, who's been one of our 10 guests, yep. he got here 
because his family, he and his father wanted to, 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 to do something together. Yes. And they went racing, and, and they had some sponsorship. They got here. Um, same with Brett Moppet. Yep. And, and, and the same with you. Now, getting here is one thing. Staying here is the difficult part. Yes, it and is. And being able to, to compete at the upper series and being able to, to win. And, and every, every series you've competed in, you've done just that. You've won. <laughs> and so that means you've got your um, legs around, you've got your arms around what it's going to take to stay here. How much desire, persistence, how many ups and downs have there been <laughs> along the way where you said, man, I don't know about this? There, there's been quite a few. Um, I've always known that I've wanted to do this. I know that I've wanted to get to the top step and be on the top step. And whatever it took, whether it's hard work from working out, training, watching video, being a driver, to being in the shop with my guys, working late nights um, on our truck deal. Um, we had five employees on our truck deal, and, and excluding dad and myself. And uh, my school, when I was starting on the truck side, um, Davidson Day School actually did an awesome program with me. I went to school. It was almost like a homeschooling deal, but I was still interacting with kids, still had a social life. But I'd only go to school for four or five hours a day. I'd learn at my own pace, and I ended up graduating a year early um, and was able to go race on weekends and be with my crew guys. And, I mean, that started from when I was 15, 16 years old and just continued to develop. But the, the desire and persistence is there. Um, I promise you one thing, no one is going to outwork me. <laughs> um, some people might have more raw talent than I do and may not have to work at it as hard. But um, when it comes to working out and being in a gym and pushing myself to the next limit mentally, physically, um, emotionally, kind of getting over the humps, um, it, it's me that wants to take my body and myself to that next level and be that next guy. Um, a quick story going back to the truck side before I went Xfinity racing last year. So it was 2017. We had sponsorship for halfway through the year. Um, and we didn't know if we were going to be able to continue to race or not. The season kind of got off to a rocky start. Um, we we're running up front, but I could not close. I could not finish races. And I was getting frustrated at myself. And we had sponsorship to go to two more races. Um, and it was Gateway in Iowa in June, in the middle of the summer. Um, we went, and I felt like those were two really good racetracks for myself and our team, and um, we ended up laying a couple people off of our five guys that we had, so it was less guys going to the racetrack um, just from a financial standpoint, but it shows that hard work and determination pays off. We went and we won both of those races back-to-back, -back and um, huge shout-out to Fire Alarm Services and Connie and Shannon for after that race, they stepped up, and we were able to go to the playoffs, and um, we were one of the final six we're one spot short of going to the, the final four at Homestead to run for the championship. But I've had some really great supporters along the way. Um, my first ever sponsor um, was actually a guy. I was wearing a T-shirt in Daytona. Dad didn't have a sponsor um, for Daytona. And uh, this guy's name is uh, Bill Bachschmidt um, from DAB Constructors. Mm -hmm. He actually came up, sponsored Dad for that race. And um, ever since then, he was my first sponsor on any race car that I had driven. Um, and he's stuck with me to this day. He stepped up to the plate. There's been so many influential people around me that have stepped up to help me and that have believed in me. It, it feels good as a person to know that you have that backing and support. That's, that's incredible. And another thing that, that I find just, it warms my heart <laughs> when I walk in the garage area and there's, there's your truck 
and your dad's under the hood. Or I look over out the corner of my eye, and here he comes pushing four <laughs> tires. He's a he's an engine man, tire guy. What what a commitment! And and I mean, I just that I love that. I love that y'all have that relationship, and you're able to spend that that quality time together. Yeah, it's been great. Um, going back to when I was racing, when he was racing full time, we didn't get to spend a lot of time together. Our relationship was more over the phone, FaceTime when they had that, Skype when they had that. He would be in the bus on his computer, Skype me at a racetrack that I was at running an Allison Legacy car or go-kart or super late model, whatever it may have been. So to, to kind of finally get over that hump and to break into the NASCAR ranks and him kind of not run full-time anymore and just have fun and piddle with it. Um, it's really grown our relationship as father and son. Um, he's been a boss, a mentor, an advisor, um, pretty much all of the key titles, including a dad. And it just goes to show you this year even – while running the Xfinity car, he he won't show up for practice days. He only comes on race days now, um, which is really, really neat. Um, but he he comes and he's a dad. He's out there taking pictures. He's out there listening on a radio. Yes, he's still a racer, but he doesn't have that boss mindset. You actually see him smiling instead of being angry at a truck and getting his hands dirty. But um, he, he's always been one that has driven me to push myself harder, whether it's working harder, um, whatever it may be. And you have to give 100% no matter what it is. Um, one of the lessons that he taught me right off the bat when I was young, I actually wrecked in a test session when we first got my Allison Legacy car. And we were supposed to go test again a week later. I wasn't old enough to race them yet. So we were just running laps, getting used to it. Came to the shop, uh, went, put my stuff in the hauler and the car wasn't loaded. I'm like, where are we going today? He goes, son, come over here. So we went over to the one side of our shop and the car is still sitting there wrecked on jack stands. He goes, I told no one to touch it until you came out here. He said, I tried getting you to come out here to help after school and just be here to hand wrenches or clean or whatever. So I learned my lesson that day. You work hard to make your stuff go and you respect your equipment. And that was kind of the turning point for me on making sure that I'm working and kind of just going with him, um, learning everything that I can. And his engineering mindset um, has definitely taught me a lot. You talked about him taking pictures. There's no shortage of <laughs> pictures in the Nemejet family. No. <laughs> uh, Grandma's been there from day one, and she has it documented from from your, your father to your Uncle John to you. Uh, how do you how do you look at all of them? <laughs> it's such a great story with her there and your your grandfather when he was there as well. Yes. Yeah, so um, she's taken pictures forever. Um, she has albums on albums on albums. And at our shop, we actually have, she has her own office that's probably three times the size of this room. And it's nothing but photo albums. Um, and it's really neat to go back and see pictures. Um, I, I think one that stands out is dad was struggling at Charlotte one year and um, Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, actually came over and lend a hand to dad when he was first starting out. And um, you can pull out pictures and you can listen to Papa Joe or Nana or dad talk about these instances and what was happening. And it, it's really cool to see the memories and stories that come out of that. Um, there's no shortage of stories nor pictures in our family. That's for sure. Well, our, our career, you know, I showed up a little bit before your father, but, but all ever since he's been here, I've sort of been <laughs> yes. uh, familiar with what's, what all has gone on. And, and your, your uncle John, he, he passed uh, early in 97 after a crash and and he, that's where your where your name came from john hunter um 
you just heard stories about him, obviously, but but I I just want to tell you from from my knowing him for a short period of time, he was a he was a great dude. <laughs> I always heard that he was a prankster and a yeah, really crazy, good guy. Always, funny guy, always smiling, but always pulling pranks and laughing and telling jokes and stuff. And um, like you said, my name did come from him and um it's a true honor for myself to carry on that legacy and run the number eight on our truck that was a pretty emotional day for my grandparents when i asked if i could run that number so it's it's pretty neat to be able to carry on that legacy and you talked about the legacy cars uh, allison cars and i mean you've won the snowball <laughs> derby and and the all-american 400 those are yes. those are two races that any nascar driver <laughs> today i don't care if he's the 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 monster energy cup series champion if you, if you want those on your resume, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. Um, a lot of hard work has gone into it, but the Snowball Derby was definitely a huge accomplishment. Um, the All-American 400, the year that we won that, we dominated it. And it feels so good to have a race car like that. I haven't had a race car like that since then, I, I want to say. So those days don't come um, very often. But to have those on your resume, the Snowflake, um, pretty much every big late model race that I have entered, we've won and um, it, it goes back to show that the equipment that I've been in, it, it's been really good. We've had really good supporters and a lot of hard work has gone into it. But going back to working on your equipment as well, growing up um, racing late models, we had three guys, including myself, that would go run our late model team. So I was hands-on. I knew what the components did. And I feel like that's definitely helped um, going back to what you were saying. You can get here, but how do yeah. you stay here? And communication is a big part of that being able to talk to the crew chief, talk to the engineer, understand components on the race car. Okay, this is what I think I need here. This is what I think I need there. Um, kind of stuff like that for a driver to understand that, I think that helps excel. And I think that's definitely where you see all the experienced guys from Jimmy Johnson to Kyle Busch to um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. to everyone that understands the concepts of how race cars work and how they get around the corner. And what can I do to make this thing go faster? How do I drive within the limits without mm -hmm. oversaturating tires and whatnot i think that that all goes back to help a driver as well yeah when when i was a kid you had to know all those things and it came a time where you really didn't have to know all yes. those things it's refreshing to to see your attitude toward making sure you understand why a car does what it does <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the engineering aspect of it now is huge right so being able to talk to the engineer communicate about what's going on um, we actually had a two-day test last week in iowa and um we we've grown our program this year we've stepped it up for sure we've run top 10 almost every week and i feel like we're starting to get some momentum yeah. starting to get our cars a little bit better myself as a driver understanding different concepts and how the different cars drive between the two different teams i've been at and the communication standpoint i feel like everyone everything is starting to flow and we made some really big gains last week at iowa i felt like during our tests and it goes back to communication and trying a, a bunch of different things and um, kind of just getting your cars faster and um, trying to just grow the team in general. Yeah, and, and that's what I love about, you know, we talk about Penske and we talk about Gibbs, but we're saying GMS, GMS <laughs> yes. more and more, and that's that's a that's a great feeling for me because I, I love Spencer and, <laughs> and I love Maury Gallagher. I mean, they're just they're great people, and to see what Mike Beam and, and everybody's been able to do over there 
your crew chief Chad. I, I think it's I think you're in a really good spot, and I'm glad to hear about your <laughs> Iowa test. I didn't know, so we're going to continue to say that name more and more, uh, especially going to Talladega <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, for sure. They GMS got their first win with Spencer there last year, which was really neat. So hopefully we can get Maury back to Victory Lane and uh, all of GMS. But their Super Speedway program has been really good. Spencer's been really good there. Their cars have been fast, and I'm looking forward to going there. But as you know, Talladega, it's kind of out of your control. Yeah. You, you can push and push and push and hope that you don't get caught up in the big one. But um, overall, just very thankful for the opportunity for Maury and GMS and everyone that's involved. Mike Beam for bringing me over and running full-time this year. It feels good to say that I'm running full-time yeah. in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So I'm um, just thankful for that opportunity. Well, that big victory at Kansas last year, you you had a battle on your hands <laughs> there with Daniel Hemrick and to be able to, to, to put that thing in victory lane. Uh, at that point, I, I'm – I'm thinking early, uh, mid mid 2018. You really didn't again know what 2019 would bring, and that sort of put an exclamation point <laughs> on where you were heading and, and uh, your your ability to win in the Xfinity Series. For sure, for sure. That that win at Kansas kind of did everything for us and kind of set it. And I'm glad that the battle was with Daniel. Um, going back to super late model days, him and I battled a lot. Every time right. that we raced together, we were battling for the win, and it was a lot of fun. He came out on top probably more than I did, which is hard to say. But um, <laughs> after the race, we were texting. I was like, I'm glad I came out on top on this one. That's for sure. That was a big one for <laughs> it sure. It was. This is, this is a bit uncomfortable to talk about, but heck, we're here together in our plush studio here in Charlotte. These all your helmets? Um, except those six. Those were just set there for aesthetics. But, like, that's my – check that helmet out. That is it's, cool. It, grab it. It's from 1988. Look at that baby. That, is, that is 1988 safety technology. <laughs> so the fact that I can't remember a lot of things. And it's I wonder, probably for that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where my keys are at times. So were you a bubble goggle guy? I was. Were you? Yeah, that was bubble goggle technology at its best. I, I drove the old Country Time Lemonade Pontiac. That's that super neat. my helmet from that year. <laughs> and then there's the Bristol Crash helmet. Whew. That, that I somehow that was nuts. survived. So I was talking about uncomfortable. <laughs> Brett Moffat was here a couple of weeks ago, and I mm -hmm. actually had to fire him once. And we obviously had to talk about that. Yep. So something that, that, that I wanted to ask you about was the victory in Canada. Because I was, I was on TV, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an analyst. I've raced. I know what I yep. see, and I think I pretty much know how you guys are thinking. And, you know, I called you out. I said that, that was over the line. Yep. Looking back to that day and, and what I said and your feelings now, was that bothersome to you that, that I would say that? Um, at first, yes. Um, from an outsider perspective, there it's hard to tell exactly what went on in that moment, right? Like, if you look at it, it looks like I straight up pinned him up against the wall, did everything that I could to run him off the racetrack, etc. Going back and looking at circumstances, there are there's things I could have done different. It was definitely a learning day for myself. It was a learning day for a lot of people. But um, after that, it was like going up against Junior Nation um, with Cole driving for Dale Jr. Um, it, it wasn't the, the greatest win. Yes, we still have the trophy, and it's something – to be proud of bringing that trophy home. Um, but we were getting death threats on Twitter, on Instagram, like all, all assholes. kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I stayed off social media for about a month. Um, I let my PR girl post stuff, post pictures, but I, I took a 
leave of absence per se and kind of stayed off of it. Um, but I didn't really listen to the haters as much. Um, like, I, I guess from what you said, I didn't really pay attention to that at the time, right? Um, there, I, I should have owned up to it, right? Like in victory lane when well, I got asked um, whether I wrecked them or not. Granted, I could have dumped him for the win, and he wouldn't have finished second, um, but that wasn't my intentions. It was going to be a drag race to the line, and I ended up getting back to the throttle too soon, got loose underneath of him, hit him, and then we collided in the grass, and it was full-on drag race in the grass trying to get the, the start-finish line. So um, going back and looking on all that, there's things I could have done different. There's things that everyone could have done different, right? But um, for myself, it, it was a victory. I don't want to say it was a proud victory because of the way that the circumstances happened, but it's something that we have the trophy for. And I just know all the hard work that goes in um, to my guys. And I don't ever want to wreck someone for a win, but I'm going to push it to the limit. Like if, if there's an opportunity for me to win, I'm going to do everything in my power to try and win that race. Um, just knowing how much hard work and dedication and all the time and hours spent going into that truck. Someone came up to me after that race and um, kind of called me a spoiled little rich kid. And I was thinking to myself, well, why, why are you saying that? And their reasoning behind it was, well, you don't know how many man hours goes into wrecking two trucks like that. I said, first of all, that wasn't my intentions. And second of all, I know every hour that went in because I was there working on it myself. I was the one that tore it apart. I was the one that cut the body off of it right there with my guys. So I knew how much went into it. Um, and, and I think that day, I mean, like I said, it was a learning lesson yeah. for sure. Well, and, and something that you can go back on and kind of review and um, from a media side, from myself speaking on TV to the social media side and how to handle that. Um, there, there's a lot of different aspects that you can look at that. Well, I called your dad the next day and, and I just told, told him that I was simply doing my job and yep. reporting what I saw. And, and he was nearly in tears because we know the challenges the team was facing at that point in time and how getting from race to race was was so difficult. And and I, I explained to Joe, I'm like, I didn't in many, any way mean to, to demean what you did. I just had to talk about how yep. it happened. And so – I'm glad to hear you say you learned from it, and you could tell by the way you raced Daniel <laughs> at, at Kansas in that side by side battle. You know, it, sometimes racing is is a contact sport; other times, it's finesse, and it looks like you have uh, a learned a, a balance between the two. For sure, um, I used to just be very aggressive, and now I'm patiently aggressive, or um, more aggressive at times than others on the racetrack, but. Um, uh, another thing going back on the whole learning aspect, Matt Crafton and I, we got off to a rocky start in the truck series. We got into each other a few times. Um, I didn't really know the aerodynamics of the truck when I first came in, got loose underneath of them. We took e each other out um, once or twice. And um, it, it goes back to show that as the years went on and I gained more experience and learned, um, yeah, he was mad at me for those times, but he didn't retaliate. We still raced hard and I learned from it. And I was able to lean on him after that for information and kind of create a relationship with him. Um, he didn't really like me. He, he'll, he'll admit he didn't really like me when I first came into the sport, but I would say now we're buddies. Now we're able to talk. We're, we're able to go to each other and ask questions when I run a truck. Um, and, and I definitely think as the years progress and the more experience you get, you can fine-tune and finesse everything that you're doing and how hard you need to be racing. Ron Hornaday was another one. Um, Elliot Sadler. It's all these experienced guys that have been in the sport forever. They see what's going on. 
Yes, you're fighting for a job. Yes, you're fighting to be in that next top seat. Um, but you can't do it if you're sitting on jack stands. That's what I've been told a, a, a couple times. So um, being able to have those guys and the experience around me and myself growing up in the garage as well, I, I've from being young and being with dad, I've been able to establish relationships from a young age and kind of grow underneath Jimmy Johnson's eyes and Clint Boyer and all these different Ryan Newman. Um, I can now go to them and create a, a relationship of my own and continue to talk to them and ask for advice and get their opinion on certain situations that may go on. You know, it's, it's great you said spoiled little rich kid because <laughs> from the outside looking in, someone could assume that immediately. Yep. But from that day... In uh, Mooresville, when your car didn't get fixed, <laughs> Dad said, "Buddy, you better get out there and work on that thing." Till today, uh, winning in the Xfinity Series, I, I know the lessons you've learned at a very long age, young age have been have been incredibly challenging, but very rewarding at the same time. And speaking of challenging and rewarding, you're gonna do a half Ironman. I am. Wow. I am. I did one in Wilmington a couple of years ago, what, actually what? during the season. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was after Talladega, before Martinsville in the uh, playoffs during the truck series. And um, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I didn't think that I would do another one, but I kind of know where I lost time and um, where my results ended up and how I can be better for next time. And um, for myself, this goes back to another Jimmy Johnson quote. Um, you can train and you can run and you can do everything for NASCAR. You can be in the best physical shape that you can be, but it's kind of boring if you don't have something to train for, mm -hmm. like Jimmy going and running the Boston Marathon. That was an amazing accomplishment. He did awesome. Um, going back to Jamie McMurray, last year he trained for a year for the Kiowa Marathon um, and did amazing. I was able to train with him some and run with him some. and um, So it's something for us to train for. It's in December. Um, we're going to California to do it. So it's after the season, but I'm able to train throughout the season and kind of focus on driving and training at the same time and uh, peak my physical fitness. Well, when I was a racer, I ran four marathons yep. just because I wanted to prove to the world, you might outrun me, but you ain't going to outlast me. That was mm -hmm. my whole mentality um, toward physical fitness. I was making a statement to to my team and to the competition that, that I would be ready when they when they threw the green, I'd be just as ready when, <laughs> yep. they, when they threw the checkered. And uh, so that being said, as a racer, I know you have a goal. What is your goal <laughs> to, to finish this this incredible feat? What is it, a two-mile swim? A it's um, So I'm doing half. So it's a 1.2-mile swim, 56-mile bike, and then a half marathon yeah. run. Um, I ran it in four hours and 48 minutes last time. Um, the winner was 4.26, I think. Mm. Um, and so I'm going to shoot for sub four hours, 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so the, the one that we're doing, they're offering, I think it's 15 or 20 qualifying spots for the um, World Half Ironman um, for next summer um, that for, for a qualifier. They haven't announced next year's yet. This year... I think it's maybe South Africa. Last year it was in Kona, Hawaii, um, which is really neat. So they, they tour different destinations for the Ironman World Championships. But um, if I could do that and be able to qualify, um, now with our new schedule next year, we have three weeks off in the middle of the summer, and it's normally right around that time. Wow. So if I can qualify for it, it'd be an amazing accomplishment to be able to go and do. 
And one day, are you thinking about getting one of those tattoos on your calf with the M and the ball? <laughs> Probably which is a Iron, Iron Man. A full Iron Man. Um, I, I would like to do a full Iron Man at some point. Wow. Um, it, it's pretty brutal on the body, but I, I feel like it would be just an amazing accomplishment to do once. But I've always said, if you're going to do it once, you're going to do more than one. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure, because you know where you're lacking time or right. where you lost time and where you can do better for next. So um, I've always been someone that's a perfectionist trying to get better and better as um you you do things and if you're gonna make a mistake only make the mistake once learn from it and move on you know i i I have a funny i love like my life it's crazy it seems to be every time something comes up i have a dale earnhardt story and i i want to share this story with you so i was it was 2000 i'd run two two marathons um i trained hard as i could for the first when my goal was sub four hours I have an opinion that if it's more than four hours, it's just a hard-headed person running for a long time. (laughs) If it's less than four hours, there might be a little (laughs) athleticism involved. And so I ran Kiowa was my first one, and I made it in 4.12, I think. I ran the half in less than two, and then I faded. Then I ran another marathon in Tampa. And so my buddy called, and he said, I can get you in Boston if you want to run it. I'm like, heck, yeah. And I had not run. I was not prepared at all. It was like a month before. So I started running a bit, and – we race Talladega on Sunday and fly up to Boston and run the marathon on Monday. And I'm I'm slow. I'm struggling, <laughs> but I'm running, you know. And Buffy, my ex, the, she was sitting on the start-finish line with Macy. And her phone rings, and it's Dale. And Dale says, Buffy, what the hell's wrong with Michael? And she said, what do you mean? He said, some of them people are already done, and he ain't halfway yet. <laughs> That's funny. She said, "Well, he's just running it for the for the fun of it." And um, so my my experience was <laughs> awesome because I got to see the sit go sign at Fenway and and you know run up Heartbreak Hill and have all those memories and and it took me four hours and forty four minutes I think and just to see what Jimmy did in in three oh nine and and have have that kind of pace that's awesome. Have you done a marathon? I have not done a marathon. Done that, a half. That, I've done a half. That that's something that I want to do. Um, my half marathon during my Ironman, I think I ran a seven forty-five pace or so. Um, that was after the swim and the bike. The, do the, people understand? Do you think many people understand what that <laughs> probably, means? Probably not. But it, it's pretty quick. I think Jimmy did his marathon at a seven ten seven oh five something like that is what he ended up running. Yeah, he his was marathon looking for seven at. flat, wasn't he? Yeah, some somewhere around there. So that that was really good um, for for him. But being able to come off the bike and the swim and be able to run that. Um, it is pretty pretty good. Um, I hope to <laughs> I hope to beat that this year um, for sure. I, I hope that my half marathon is going to be about an hour thirty um, somewhere in there. Um, so well, I know going back and running the half Ironman, um, I need to focus on making my swim better because um, we swam in the lake and the pool a little bit. Well, Wilmington it was an ocean swim, mm. um, so that was totally different. Something no that I haven't done. Um, so I struggled there, the transitions from the swim to the bike, and then the bike was actually pretty fast. Um, I ended up averaging 24 mile an hour on the bike, which is pretty pretty dang good um, for that as well. Um, I think it was 23.99, so wow. we, we were pretty I've fast. I've got a tandem bike. Will you take me places on it? Let's do it. That'd be pretty cool. Sit Let's on the do back. it. <laughs> John Hunter pump it out. That'd 
it, some it, good training. It'll for be you a good too. workout. That is for sure. <laughs> we'll I go find to... some hills and do some hill climbs on it. I'll tell you what. I'm not in. I'm not in marathon shape right now, so that might be a good work. <laughs> Well, I, really, I really appreciate you coming by. This has been awesome. It's fun to get to talk to you. I love hanging out with, with fellow racers and have the time of your life at Talladega. I know you know and anything in the world could happen, which means you can either wreck or win. And, and uh, I hope you're able to, to survive that race and, and contend for a victory. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And let's hit up the golf course soon. Now that was a lot of fun. I am so thankful to Fox Sports for letting me do these podcasts getting to know the racers better. John Hunter got called a spoiled little rich kid, and we learned today that that certainly wasn't the case. He's had a lot of help along the way, a lot of mentors that have headed him in the right direction, but he certainly got the job done behind the wheel. Thank you, John Hunter. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to rate us. Give us a five-star rating. Tell your friends about Waltrip Unfiltered. Go to your favorite podcast app and add us. We're going to be right back at you after Talladega. And at Daytona earlier this season at the 500, we went behind the scenes with caffeine. We live streamed from the garage area. We're going to do that again in Talladega. So be sure to check out caffeine and get the behind the scenes stories. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to go out in the infield. (laughs) You ever been in the Talladega infield? I hope I make it out of there. (laughs) 